You're listening to Oh No Lit Class. Dead authors, fresh takes, and the epilogues you never knew you needed. to Oh No Lit Class, the podcast that says it did the reading, but actually just saw the movie. I'm Megan. I'm RJ. I saw the movie. Was it a good movie? Well, which movie? Well, I really wasn't speaking to one in particular, but yeah, one in mind. Yeah, The Ten Commandments, the movie is way better than the book. <laughs> yeah. I found the book to be rather droll. <laughs> Do- long. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. What did you find the book to be rather? Droll. Droll? Droll. D-R-O-L-L? Troll. Yeah, that's a good thing, champ. If something's droll, it's witty. <laughs> I've had it boring and long. And <laughs> Guess what's not getting edited out? <laughs> there was a dearth of entertainment in the original. Uh, all right. <laughs> Today's a very special episode of Oh No Lit Class, one that we alluded to. Um, I think back in our Hamlet episode, and that is the story of William Shakespeare. Live. Dun, dun, dun. From a hurricane watch zone. Yeah. Who knows what that'll be like uh, a week from now when this comes out, because there's another hurricane right behind Hurricane Irma, so... Oh my god. Oh my god. Yeah, I'm not overstealing that from everyone else. Yeah, no, definitely not. Shakespeare. Shakespeare. Billy Shakey. Big Willie Shakesman. Yeah. So, in the past... Hell of a dude. Megan's told me, RJ, don't talk too much about Shakespeare because we'll have an episode where we talk all about Shakespeare and the controversies surrounding Shakespeare. And that's going to be this episode, finally. Yes, that thing I just said. Did you say it? Yeah, a little bit. I'm going to let you on a secret, Meg. You don't listen to anything that comes out of my mouth while Never. I'm talking. All right. That's what I thought. It's nice to have it officially confirmed, I guess. You know how surprised I was when I found out the show isn't called The RJ Show? <laughs> really? I'd, I'd hoped that you hadn't realized that yet. I didn't know there was another voice on the program. See, I thought when you edited the show, you take out your part, and so it just sounds like one long diatribe that's directed by you. <laughs> And, see, I thought you were Christopher Nolan to my Christian Bale. Ah, the episodes would be a lot shorter if that were the case. This is my podcast. This is my show. RJ. William Shakespeare. All right, so, William Shakespeare. He was born. He was born. I mean, look, we're going to be talking about a lot of different conspiracy theories, but I think the one thing that everyone does agree on is we never seen the long-form birth certificate. I haven't seen it. <laughs> Megan hasn't seen it. No one's seen it. I've been demanding it for years. I have a theory, Megan. You have a theory. Yeah. William Shakespeare. Yeah. Big William Shakespeare. Big Willie Shakespeare. Not American. <gasps> that is my working theory. You get a, you're just going to blow the doors right off this shit, huh? Yeah. Bust it wide open. Um, before we actually even start 
like, maybe we should say something about the fact that there is a William Shakespeare conspiracy, because I feel like most normal people who just had to read, like, Romeo and Juliet or Hamlet or something are just like, what the fuck are you talking about? And it has nothing to do with the earring. No, it's not, yeah, the conspiracy is not whether that earring meant that he was, like, down to clown with either dudes or ladies. Although some say both, but that's a different conspiracy. Um, we're talking about whether or not Shakespeare actually wrote his plays, which you might not think is a huge deal. You might be like, who gives a shit? The answer is a lot of people. Nerds. Mostly, but also just, like, a a huge range of people over a wide variety of of career spectrums and all kinds of things, and we're going to get into that. But yeah, a lot of people have a huge issue with this idea that these famous plays that we all know and love and were forced against our will to read were written by this guy, William Shakespeare. So let's talk about what we are pretty sure... We know about the gentleman named and known as William Shakespeare. So Shakespeare was born April 26, 1564, or at least that is when he was baptized. He then died April 23rd, 1616. He was born in Stratford-upon-Avon, Warwickshire, England. He died in Stratford-upon-Avon, Warwickshire, England. So he did not get very far. He was born to John Shakespeare and Mary Arden. His dad, John, was a rather prodigious manufacturer of gloves who became an alderman later in life. Just in case you don't know what an alderman is, it's kind of like... Who doesn't know what an alderman is? Of course. Um, An alderman is kind of like a city councilman. Basically, he was thought of as a community elder of sorts. Big Willie's mom, she was a homemaker. She cared for the household. She actually inherited a substantial piece of land from her family. So his family did have some money, a little bit, since they had some land. Neither of his parents had received a formal education, which is a big sticking point for people who believe in some of the conspiracies. For William's own education, his own um, upbringing, so the family was middle class. Because they did have a little bit of land, but they were definitely not royalty, and they definitely were not wealthy. But William had a comfortable-ish enough upbringing. He wasn't. He wasn't working his fingers to the bone in a factory while people watched. No, he was not Oliver Twist. <laughs> William was uh, the third child of a total of eight, so there were a number of siblings that he grew up with. According to scholars, William was sent to grammar school. However, there are no records. Uh, that still exists to actually prove his attendance, which is really a recurring theme in William's life. For being as famous as he is, there are large gaps in his biography that need to basically be pieced together um, because there's years of his life where there's really nothing known about him. So Uh, he's basically like the Tommy Wiseau of his time. Good doggy. (laughs) It's not even good doggy. He says, hello, doggy. So imagine going to school and not having any proof of it. You gotta kind of repeat it all, kind of like Billy Madison. That would suck. That was a terrible joke. <laughs> you had a better joke? <laughs> yeah, I made a joke about Tommy Wiseau and the fact that even now in today's modern age, we still don't know anything about his life, yet people have such a hard time believing, like, there's no proof that Shakespeare went to school, so clearly he didn't, and he just, like, rubbed poop on the walls all day like a terrible, illiterate peasant man. You could put it up on the Twitter poll, Meg. I bet you more people who listen to our show, know who Billy Madison is versus Tommy Wiseau. 
Put it on I the fall. I think today, like now, more people have seen The Room than fucking Billy Madison. Have you still not seen The Room? I've seen parts. Ugh. Hello, doggy. Ugh. You're, you're missing out. You're tearing me apart. Uh-huh. All right. It did not hit her. It did not. Anyway... The uh, quality of grammar schools varied by location. However, the standard curriculum of the schools was decided by royal decree. So we have a pretty good idea of what was taught at the time. Generally, text um, from Latin authors made up a big part of the curriculum. We also know at the age of 18, William married a 26-year-old Anne Hathaway in 1582. Anne looks like she hasn't aged more than 10 or 15 years in the last four and a half centuries. Good on her. She's got that. She's got that good skincare regimen. The uh, two would have a total of three kids: Susanna and the twins Judith and Hamnet. Yes, Hamnet. <laughs> One of these things is not like the other. Hamnet was not made out for this world and died at the age of eleven in fifteen ninety six. Now, this wasn't a rare thing either. About one-third of all kids in England died before reaching the age of 10 at the time. That's why, you know, people would have, like, 10 kids. Because they'd be like, all right, half these little fuckers ain't going to make it. we got to do the, the odds of large numbers here. We don't know why Hamnet died, but we can speculate it was due to being bullied. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> no, it probably was more like the consumption or something. <laughs> I believe Hamnet was bullied to death for having the name Hamnet, a net for hams. I mean, what would you have preferred? That he named him William. <laughs> well, if he had named his child Billy, William, Billy Jr., then I would be on the side of the conspiracy for sure. Oh, yeah, because then it would, would be like, clearly this is not a man who could have written plays. This was a man with no imagination. Yeah. Hamnet. Rip. Where does that come from? Well, he stole it. From that other play. Or Hamlet. (laughs) And Amleth. Well, as we'll talk about, Shakespeare might not have known how to write, so L's and N's, eh, got sloppy. We'll get there. So, before 1592, when William was 28, there's really not that much known about him. Everything I've said so far is basically everything we know about pre-28-year-old William Shakespeare. Biographers refer to these as the lost years. William Shakespeare, the lost years. Join him as he traverses across the galaxy. Who knows? Some speculate that William had to flee from Stratford-upon-Avon to run from the law as he was allegedly charged with deer poaching. Oh no, not the deer. And what do you think he hunted with? Uh, Bare hands? Bow and arrow? (laughs) He was... Big he shoes. was wanted for throttling deer to death with his bare hands. <laughs> That'd be pretty baller. <laughs> that would be. be pretty hardcore. And so, perhaps he was on the lamb until he turned up at the theater as an actor in jolly old London. Oi! I'm in London now as an actor. <laughs> London town. I'm from Stratford-upon-Avon. That's, that's what he sounded like, I bet. Oi! Oi! I'm William Shakespeare. I'm two inches tall. Won't you please let me work in your theater? So we do know by 1592, plays bearing William's name had begun to be performed in London. We know this because in 1592, William was attacked by a playwright by the name of Robert Greene who wrote, and I'm quoting here, There is an upstart crow, beautified with our feathers, 
that with his tiger's heart wrapped in a player's hide, supposes he is as well able to bombast out a blank verse as the best of you. And being an absolute... How would you say that name? Uh, there, Jonas? Uh, wait. Johans? Being an absolute... absolute Johans? Yo- Johannes? Being an absolute Johannes factorum. I don't know what that means. Johannes factotum. I don't know what that means either. Is in his own conceit the only shake scene in a country. I'm going to be honest. I wouldn't know that was an insult unless you told me ahead of time. Oh, he calls him a crow. <laughs> I, I guess. But he also is, is, is doing, it's a, I don't know, he's bombastic and... and... Well, that he's bombastic, thinking that he can be as good as you are. That's true. He's a yes. He's a crow beautified by our feathers. So basically, real writers, I I guess. In short, I believe Green didn't like this commoner who did not have a university education doing things that esteemed people like Francis Bacon and Christopher Marlowe were doing. That song's gonna get real old real quick. This 1592 complaint is the oldest record concerning Shakespeare's plays, so we do not know exactly when his plays started to be performed. We don't know if they were performed immediately before Green wrote this criticism, or maybe it had been years and Green was just now making the complaint in 1592. We do know that between 1603 and 1610, the public playhouses in London were closed for a total of 60 months, or about five years out of seven years, because of a small thing known as the bubonic plague. Oh, uh, that old thing? Yeah, there are a number of outbreaks, and during that time, William moved back to Stratford-upon-Avon and seldom returned to London after that. So majorities of the plays in his name were performed between 1592 and 1603, basically in those 11 years before the theaters were shut down. The plague times. He died at the age of 52 in Stratford-upon-Avon because he went on a bender and got a fever. That's a new one. Yeah, really. He uh, he was said to have been in otherwise good health, but kind of just died after going on a bender. Some dude named John Ward of Stratford wrote in his notebook, quote, Shakespeare, Drayden, and Ben Johnson had a merry meeting and, it seems, drank too hard for Shakespeare, died of a fever, there contracted. The end. Like a real 17th century rock star. Did you ever get so drunk you got a fever and died? William Shakespeare did. There you go. Went out. Baller. What do you think he was drinking? Uh, man. Patron? Yeah? Yeah. No, Megan. A real baller? Not not plague ale? Cristal. <laughs> uh, really? Is that still a thing that, like, ballers... Obviously, you're not a baller. No, clearly not. It's because I'm not watching the, the show, Ballers. The, starring The Rock on HBO <laughs> on Sundays. Uh, watch it G- game of thrones isn't on anymore what else are you gonna do and when i watch ballers i like wearing my big baller brand shoes brought to us by lavar ball okay we need to stop because i'm balling we need we need in my ballers we need to stop <laughs> <laughs> you mean you didn't buy the slides for 2.99 you get the whole shoes for 5.99 <laughs> targeting with that reference is going to be a very well those are the big baller brand shoes yes it's gonna be a very niche uh crossover between um who doesn't know who lavar ball is so that's basically what we know for sure about william shakespeare the end <laughs> da, 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 da. literature all right so let's talk about the controversy based on the facts that we know 
As we previewed earlier, there were a number of critics who did not like old Shaky at the time because of his upbringing. Since his death, there have been a number of groups that have questioned if William actually wrote the works that bear his name. Essentially for like the past almost 200 years. Now one of the notable things is that these groups began popping up about 250 years after William's death. Nice and convenient to wait until all the witnesses are long dead and any written evidence has begun to deteriorate if not already having been lost. That's how conspiracy theories work. You can't prove that it's wrong. Except, you know, you kind you kind of can in some ways. We'll get there. I trust experts by the size of their hair. <laughs> Ancient aliens are real. <laughs> they built the pyramids. Okay, see, that's one of the things that I want to William Shakespeare wrote, built the pyramids? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, that William He's Shakespeare wrote, wrote, he wrote the pyramids. Well, because th- this is my problem with a lot of conspiracy theories is it's rooted in prejudice and dickishness. Like, you know, it's like, oh, the pyramids had to have been built by aliens because how could ancient Egyptians, a.k.a. brown people, have figured out how to do it? Which, you know, fucking stupid. Um, and with, with Big Willie Shakespeare, it's, it's more like, he was a poor common man without a fancy pants education and wasn't even like a landed gentry or whatever. How could he have written such words? No. The only logical explanation is that some other fancy boy wrote them, which is just like, fuck you. But, that being said, there are some weird inconsistencies. So, so, groups have argued that the true authors of the works credited to William may have been William Stanley, Christopher Marlowe, Francis Bacon, and Edward de Vere. The theories about Bacon and de Vere have the most supporters. There are actually a list if you if you Google or like go onto Wikipedia to look for um, We're not branding, Megan. Don't give plugs. <laughs> if you go onto your internet search engine, <laughs> I don't care if you use Bing, Google, Dogpile, oh Yahoo. Okay, you're, 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 killing, you're killing the point. The point is if you go and look up people who are uh, purported to have possibly been shit the the real Shakespeare, the list is eighty seven people long. Like, 80 fucking seven people. So we're just going to talk about some of the major ones. Hmm. Some historical figures who have seriously questioned the authenticity of Shakespeare plays and claim to have found arguments against Shakespeare's authorship to at least be persuasive include Walt Whitman, Mark Twain, Helen Keller, Henry James, Sigmund Freud, Charlie Chaplin. Some more contemporary conspiracy theorists include actor Mark Rylance and Supreme Court Justices John Paul Stevens, Sandra Day O'Connor, and the late Antonin Scalia. There is even a moot court trial put on that was heard by three Supreme Court Justices about Shakespeare's authorship. It was found in the case that Shakespeare was the actual author of the works credited to him. So our humble Oh No Lick Class podcast is not the final arbiter. We merely report penis jokes and some facts. You, our dear listeners, get to draw your own conclusions. And with that in mind, I will tell you the evidence the anti-Shakespeareans tend to rely on. So first they question Shakespeare being literate and argue, in fact, he was illiterate. There are no records of his attending grammar school, as I mentioned earlier, unlike 
every author ever in the history of the world, there are no letters or writings that Shakespeare left behind. None of the plays he supposedly wrote still, in ex- still exist in his hand. The few things we do have that were written by him are six signatures from legal documents that he signed. And the thing about his signatures is that they are nearly illegible and they are not consistent in form or spelling. Much like any doctor ever. Well, you could read mostly what they say, but that he leaves the letters out. So I'll give you a couple examples of how he spelled his name. The first one is William Schick. <laughs> W-I-L-L-M-S-H-A-K-P. He was like texting. He was just way ahead of his time. Or William Shakespeare. First name spelled like you would think. Last name S-H-A-K-S-P-E-R. Or mm, Shakespeare. <laughs> W-M-S-H-A-K-S-P-E. He was a dude on the go. He was very busy. He didn't have time to write out his full name. Or William Shakespeare. Here he spells Shakespeare. S-H-A-K-S-P-E-R-E. Or he then spells William again without an A before the final M. Or he then spells it like we would expect. William Shakespeare. It's also argued that because his dad was a glover and never received a formal education, and because his mom was never educated, it makes sense that William was illiterate. Specifically, his father's signature throughout his entire life was just a mark and never a name. It was also pointed out that William's own children were illiterate. So if William was literate, why not teach his own kids how to read and write? Because fuck them. Because you would think, if you are... A big deal, a bard, a writer at the time. You might want your kids to read your works. One would assume. Read daddy's plays. The next line of attack is that the things William wrote about, foreign lands, powerful individuals, etc., were not things someone of his stature would know about. He was at best middle class. He was definitely not a royal. He did not have a place in the court. So the conspiracy theorists argue that the subject matter that William wrote about was beyond the reach of someone from his circumstances. Like, fucks he know about gentry in Italy? Right, how would he know about Verona? Yeah. So one of the things that people pointed out is in Romeo and Juliet, that when Shakespeare's writing about Verona, that he mentions like a specific tree that plays a big part of the plot. And a researcher went to Verona and found that very same tree. Yet, Shakespeare never went to Verona, and so people question how he would know about this. The pushback against that is, well, he dealt with a lot of actors, and so if he ever dealt with someone from Verona, maybe they mentioned it and he wrote it down, and that he was really good at taking notes. Actors did travel all over the damn place, and also he was an actor, so he was hanging out with them all the time, and then there's actually even a theory that during those plague years, he, or no, was it? Shit, there was one that he, like, was in Italy for, like, a time, either trying to escape the plague or something like that. I don't know. I don't know if that adds up with the timeline now, though. The next things that the critics point out is when William died, he was not buried at Westminster Abbey. This is a weird one. Basically, anyone who was anyone was buried at Westminster Abbey when they died. If you wrote a fucking sentence, they put your ass in Westminster Abbey. Since his death, like 100 years after his death, an effigy of Shakespeare was erected in (laughs) Westminster Abbey. Nice! But his remains still have never been moved there. The last main point most of the critics point out is that we just simply don't know much about 
Big Billy Shakespeare. They argue if he was this big, huge star, there would be a lot more info on him. For example, where are the missing years where it seems he dropped off the face of the earth? And we know next to nothing of his writing habits, nor how he managed to piece all of this together. And so, in short, the arguments are that there is no way Shakespeare could have written this stuff, and that there was either a single person or a group of people who were wealthy and powerful that wrote and wanted to get their works out there but could not risk doing it themselves. So they found some guy to do it for them. It should be noted that being a playwright was considered an ignoble thing for a noble to do. It is also argued that Shakespeare, as we spell it, was a common name and was actually just a pen name for a person or group, and Weave accidentally attributed the works to an actor with a similar but different name given his signature issues. Now, there are facts that work against the conspiracy theorist. First, the illiteracy issue. William was supposedly an actor for some time in his life, which means he would have needed to have been able to read his lines. It's also doubtful that his father, despite being a glover, uh, was illiterate his whole life as he was the city alderman later in life. This would have required him to read and fill out paperwork. The reason as to why he signed everything with the mark his whole life is unknown. Maybe get got comfortable with it. It was easy. Apparently just the Shakespeare men have trouble with signatures. It's just easier. <laughs> Additionally, speaking of his father in 1596, which would have been in the middle of William's height, he was granted a coat of arms that he created by the Queen's Court. The Queen's Court did not willy-nilly grant people coats of arms, so at the time, the court must have thought William's dad was deserving for some reason or another, maybe because his son was William fucking Shakespeare. You get a crest, you get a crest, you get a crest. As for William, writing about things someone in his position should not know about, well, he had a lot of friends, a good number of them, in fact, like Ben Johnson and Christopher Marlowe, who were part of the court and had access um, that they could then share and tell William about. It was not like William lived in a vacuum. It is quite possible that people talked and William took notes and wrote with knowledge that other people provided him with. As for not being buried in Westminster Abbey, well, William was buried in Stratford-upon-Avon, his hometown, and where he was living when he died. And he was buried in the same graveyard as his father and his mother and little Hamnet. All of them were buried there. His own wife and surviving kids were buried there later on. Maybe he did not want to be buried with the old hoity-toity. After all, it's not like they all loved him anyway. Fuck him. And lastly, the lack of writing records of William... It was early 17th century. He was a nobody until late in life. So there was no reason anyone in the early part of his life would have kept this stuff anyway. Uh, not a lot exists from the era as is. And what does is usually court records or records dealing with royals, neither of which really have to do with William. We have come across a lot of authors who want their surviving works to be burned to death or buried with them or somehow destroyed. Yep. And maybe William is one of the few who actually had his wishes granted. And as for there not being more gossip about him, even today we have public figures who we know a lot about and those we know very little about. And we even have an internet nowadays, for Christ's sake. And I have no idea what Daft Punk looks like, and they are huge. Get on that, people. I want pictures. Uh, Sexy pictures. I mean, I look. I I would like sexy pictures of Daft Punk as much as the next person, and I agree with you. And I hate to, but I, so I really hate to burst your bubble. But you know that there are pictures of Daft Punk without their helmets, right? From like the '90s when they were like little baby kids. Yeah, well, what do they look like now? I don't know. Older versions of that. Maybe, maybe they're one-eyed. Maybe they have no eyes. Maybe they replaced their eyes with little cyborg, cybernetic things. Could have. 
But yeah, um, nobody knew that William Shakespeare was going to be fucking William Shakespeare, so it wasn't like anyone was following him around at birth being like, what's he up to now? So, in short, fuck the haters. William, I know the truth. You my homie, Billy. Let's go sip on some of that Cristal. Ride or die, Big Bill Shakespeare. Him and I, we both wear ballers. Of course. The shoes, not the slides. <laughs> he can afford it. Mm, he could. So yeah, like, it's... It, would be very easy to just be like, William Shakespeare was a dude who wrote some dope plays that really connected with the people of his time and still resonate today. Oh, you know, he was like the Ridley Scott of his time, combining murder and action with wacky romance and such. I don't know, uh, James Cameron, something like that. Other such popular... Because that's the thing, he was fucking popular. It wasn't like he was Rolling writing... Rolling It wasn't... Oh, I'm getting there. Oh. <laughs> don't uh, talk, it's like don't him talk too. about that yet. Yeah. Oh. Or Michael Bay. Well, people hate Michael Bay now. Oh, Zack Snyder. Oh, God. Okay. We're getting. Yeah. Paul Thomas Anderson. Right. Okay, stop just Cohen naming Brothers? things. Stop naming things. Anyway, that's not sexy and controversial. So, like, why not instead bend over backwards to be like, there is no Shakespeare. It's a massive conspiracy, and also the moon landings were faked. Except that the people who believe this stuff, like we talked about, aren't. You know, weirdo neckbeards living in basements and writing blogs about how the government is run by lizard people. In fact, like RJ was just saying, some of these people are in the government, you know? Um, And then there's also, like we said, like journalists, actors, and writers, you know, you heard the list. And in the case of actors like Jeremy Irons, uh, Sir Derek Jacoby, Mark Rylance, it's especially crazy because they're specifically like Shakespearean actors. Mark Rylance was the director of the fucking Globe Theater for ten years. The calls are coming from inside the house. Well, you're saying they're not neckbeards, but there is Sigmund Freud. (laughs) I just, I don't get how you could immerse yourself so fully in someone's work and be like, nah, but he was too stupid and poor and unknown and also poor and had such a dirty, awful peasantness that someone else had to have written these plays that I have devoted a significant chunk of my life to. Just, I, I, don't, I don't know, man. But anyway, so, like I said, there are uh, the list of people who other people think could have been Shakespeare is enormous. So for the sake of time, here are the most major theories. We have Christopher Marlowe, Francis Bacon... The Earl of Oxford, and D, all of the above. Nah, but but really. So let's start with Christopher Marlowe. Uh, so he was a contemporary playwright of Big Billy Shakespeare. And uh, this theory, which was originally put forth in 1892, involves some pretty fun backflips. Because here's the thing. What year was that that you said where uh, Shakespeare had that first big critic like tearing into him about uh, his plays? Fifth. 1892. Yeah, Christopher Marlowe died in 1593. <laughs> That's the guy who wrote Dr. Faustus? So, yeah. In you f- know when he wrote it? 1592. Wow. He was busy. He was. That was the first year it was performed. Well, here's the thing. He wasn't planning on dying. He was stabbed to death by a dude named Ingram Pfizer. Or Fizzer, Pfizer, I don't know. So, the Marlovian theory which sounds nice and dumb, is that he faked his death because he was apparently in some trouble for being an atheist and writing books and treatises and things that were saying, hey, maybe you should be an atheist too, and was going to be arrested and brought to trial. Like, that is public record. Uh, So they claim that A, he faked his death. 
B had a fake corpse made to be identified by witnesses. Like there was a jury and all this stuff, everything to make sure that like he was really dead. And then C lived out the rest of his days in secret writing plays for which Shakespeare was the front man because why not? Yeah, that's that's reasonable. So people claim that the two writers are stylistically similar. You know, so that that makes sense as opposed to Shakespeare like, I don't know, being heavily influenced by Marlowe's works or something crazy like that. How, how could that be? The theory has pretty much been discredited at this point on the grounds that over the ensuing 20 years until Shakespeare's death, something would have given away Marlowe's presence and also that there's just no motive for him to write a bunch of masterpieces and not taking any credit for them except that people just really don't want William Shakespeare to have written the fucking plays. They would rather have Christopher Marlowe fake his own death. Next on the list is Francis Bacon. Sir. Sir, excuse me. Sir Francis Bacon. And I'm Don't pretty sure... Don't you forget it. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure everyone knows the name Francis Bacon, even if you're not sure who the hell he is, if only because knowledge is power. Francis Bacon. <laughs> the quote never made sense to me. <laughs> France is bacon, though. France is really, bacon. If you really think about it. So... Sir Francis Bacon was a lawyer. That's why the sir's important. What? That's why the sir's important. <laughs> it's true. Oh, it's just saying, sir. Sir. France <laughs> is bacon. Knowledge is power, sir. And Francis Bacon. Uh, no, I read it in there. I know. He was a lawyer, scientist, philosopher, and essayist, and he was proposed as a potential author back in 1856 partially based on the fact that he was a philosopher and a smarty pants and that there were parallels between his ideas and ideas found in Shakespeare's work because that's a solid foundation for a theory. They had some of the same kind of thoughts about stuff, you guys. By the way, as an aside. As an aside. I went to high school with uh, some guy. His first name was Sir Francis. Like, for real. We all called him Bacon. <laughs> Poor kid. It's just His name was Sir Francis. Sir Francis. One word. That's rough. Bacon. Bacon. He so, never peed on me. <laughs> See, when you phrase it that way, you make it sound like there were more kids peeing on you than not that you have to differentiate. Tune in next week <laughs> to Ono oh class To learn more about who peed on RJ in his impressionable youth. Or didn't. Gross. So why would Captain Knowledge's power keep his authorship a secret? Because, like RJ was saying before, um, he wouldn't be able to like rise to a high public office if people knew he wrote plays. Because it was considered just a thing that highfalutin people didn't do. It was ignoble. Which just kind of irritates me and confuses me all the more because in, in the one breath you're saying, you know, rich fancy pants people didn't write plays. And then in the next, you're saying, well, Shakespeare couldn't have written these plays because he wasn't an educated, fancy-pants, highfalutin person. Like, pick one! <laughs> what is the truth? Anyway, people claim that Bacon was the king of cryptography, and they get all fucking Da Vinci Code with shit like, uh, proponent of the theory being all like, hey, there's this crazy Latin word in Love's Labor's Lost, and... Oh boy, here we go. Honorificabilitidinitatibus. Excuse you. Nailed it. It means the state of being able to achieve honors, and it can totally be read as an anagram for 
Hi, Ludi F. Baconis, Nati Tuiti Orbi. Oh, my Latin professor would be so fucking embarrassed of me right now. Which translates to, These plays, the offspring of F. Bacon, are preserved for the world. Uh-huh. And that's 12 words. And W. Shakespeare is 12 letters. And 12 plus 25 is 37, which is the number of plays Shakespeare supposedly, wrote in his lifetime. And 37 divided by 3 is kind of almost 12, like a little bit of a remainder, and so it all adds up. Ooh. Ooh. Spooky. This should have been our <laughs> Halloween episode. I'm scared. <laughs> Them little hairs on the back of my neck. Yeah, standing right up. Standing right up. So, like Marlovians, Baconians, yeah, for real. Pretty much all gone by now, and the Oxford theory has gotten much more popular and supplanted the magic cryptic message bullshit argument. So let's talk about the Earl of Oxford. Proposed much later than the other two in the 1920s, this is the one that's got traction to it. The famous people that we listed are all Oxfordians, basically, believing that the true author of the plays was the Earl of Oxford, Edward de Vere. So what's this theory based on? Well, he liked patronizing the arts. He was always giving money to, like, actors and musicians and stuff. He wrote some real good poems, and he was a rich, well-educated fancy boy. He was also, around the time when these would have been written, in his late 40s. And some of the sonnets sound like they were written by a weary old man and not a 20-something, because people are only capable of writing their own life experiences, right? Yeah. Yeah, obviously. That's why a lot of my poems and short stories have to do with awkward erections. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's true. It's true. I mean, you wrote that lovely collection of poems. Oh, no, my boner. (laughs) No, no. You're saying it wrong. Your punctuation is important. Oh, no. Boner. (laughs) The dot, dot, dot. It's a pause. Oh, okay. Because it's a moment of recognition. (laughs) It's, it's a, a transformative moment of change. I'm working on the sequel. Boner. I can't believe it's happening again. <laughs> and who could forget your your layered nonfiction essay? Why, Boner? Why? <laughs> I didn't mean to poke her eye out. Ew. Okay. Moving on. But much like Bacon, because of his fancy pants gentleman position, he couldn't be seen writing plays. And so he used actor William Shakespeare as a way to get his plays out into the world. So Oxfordians claim that there's stuff in Shakespeare's plays that allude to events in De Vere's own life. Like in Hamlet, because De Vere's dad was also dead when he was a young man. Super, it's like his life. It's exactly his, his life. Anyway, the big issue with De Vere being the true Shakespeare is that, like Marlowe, he was dead. Before 12 of Shakespeare's plays were published. You can see how this is a a common issue. (laughs) So the Oxfordian answer to this is that these were totally his plays too. Just unfinished at the time and later finished by a crew of different authors because that definitely makes more sense. But they use this as a reasoning behind the fact that some of his later plays seem to be very heavily revised and why there is multiple versions of stuff like, you know, King Lear that's got like two different endings and, you know, stuff like that. So people cling to this theory so strongly that they even made a movie about it. Anonymous. A movie? Uh, Yes. Uh, A movie. (laughs) A picture show? A, A moving picture show. Anonymous. By Roland Emmerich. 
As in Independence Day, a day after tomorrow, Godzilla 1998, Roland Emmerich. Oh, he didn't do Armageddon? Guess not. Uh, that was that was that not Michael Bay? Oh, maybe. That was Michael Bay. Who's also an Oxfordian. So, oh, you know, that, that should tell you something right there. So, Michael Bay is? <laughs> no, Roland, <laughs> Roland Emmerich is. So the movie follows the life and times of the Earl of Oxford and a supposed love affair with Queen Elizabeth in between all the playwriting and Shakespeare mocking because, man, this movie hates Shakespeare. They turn him into, like, a, just a jackass and an illiterate dipshit, which is confusing since he's still shown to be an actor and would have to know how to, you know, read? They show him read. that's not even a thing. Like, they show him reading. Like, they make jokes about him not being able to write anything or to, to, like, read his coat of arms that he's been so lovely, like, gifted with. But then they show him reading later on and commenting on something, being like, ooh, this is interesting. So this movie doesn't know what the fuck it's doing. It has all kinds of, like, hilarious and goofy historical nonsense. Like, um, it takes place in 1598, so, and Christopher Marlowe is there. Five years after his death. Uh, just hanging out. Zombie Marlowe. <laughs> Shit-talking a play that actually wouldn't be written until the following year. That's just, like, a fun, quick little example. But, like, basically stuff that either never happened or happened, like, years and years apart all take place at the same time. Like, they have, uh, when Queen Elizabeth dies, they show, like, her funeral being on the, the the Thames and it's frozen over and her funeral procession was like on land the ten, the Thames the Thames the Thames the Thames it didn't freeze over that year it's just random shit but anyway it has all this background stuff about Elizabeth having bastard sons who might take the throne and it's stuff that we kind of mentioned in our Hamlet episode where everybody was getting very weird and backstabby and murdery picking sides yeah we had the, the Cecils we were talking about. It's like Game of Thrones. It got very Game of Thronesy, minus the dragons. But presumably still with the boobs. And actually, still with the incest. Because here's the thing. The movie posits that Queen Elizabeth and Edward de Vere got it on. And that the Earl of Southampton is their son. But de Vere's the only one who knows this. Also, uh, much like young Big Willie Shakespeare and Anne Hathaway, Elizabeth's old enough to be de Vere's mom. Which is interesting because the movie says she is. And that he was also a bastard son of Elizabeth. And so the Earl of Southampton is his brother's son. So that's neat. So Mark Rylance and Derek Jacoby actually have bit parts in the movie because of their Oxfordian inclinations. Which means they would rather believe a crazy incest-riddled post-death playwriting conspiracy than just be like... Shakespeare was an average dude with an average education who happened to be really good at writing plays. Fun plays. Plays that were mainstream and popular and basically the Independence Day of the fucking 1600s. They didn't require a goddamn degree in fancy bullshit to enjoy, so, like, why would they to write? They're riddled with puns and sex jokes and campy bullshit, and it just seems weird and fancy and snooty to us. Because old-timey English and just how the plays have been portrayed in, like, movies and shit for the past hundred years. Hey, May. Yeah, RJ? I need to shave. Can I borrow your Occam's razor? <laughs> I know I put it down somewhere in the simplest place where you would expect to find it. Okay. <laughs> Finally, D, all of the above. All those dudes that we just mentioned were Shakespeare. 
along with at least three other dudes and a couple ladies, besides. And that they were all, like, pissy little failed politicians wanting to write politically scathing plays and not get in trouble. So Shakespeare was their broker slash frontman. Because why not? So what you're saying is he was the current day version of Drake. I don't know enough about... Does he have ghostwriters? Who knows who's writing for him? I don't know. Powerful people. Yeah. All right. How about Danielle Steele? Like modern day Danielle Steele. Sure. There we go. Modern day Danielle Steele. That. Or Norma I Roberts. Guess. Yeah. Nora Roberts. Norma Roberts. What? Nora Roberts. Oh. That's <laughs> an old lady's name, either way. Yeah. Well. Just like, like get a hobby. Well, I guess like it is a hobby. Get a less stupid hobby. Go take a walk. Ride a bike. Jesus. It's like it's like the X-Files if Mulder was a pretentious dick who kept insisting that only earls and dukes were capable of writing a good story. <sighs> now that's... That's all I have to say about that. Boom. We watched, we watched that fucking movie. We did. <laughs> we sat through Anonymous for you guys. That's what I was upset about with the movie Anonymous is see this movie came out what 2010 ish no i, I guess it, did more recent yeah, maybe 2011 or 12 yeah so we were dating well we were like the, barely. barely dating yeah so it must have been like 2011 and in the trailer they prominently use a radiohead song oh god yeah of course this is what bothers you which is not used in the movie at all i was waiting for it. like oh here comes the scene it's gonna be perfect here no wait a Bait and switch me. Okay, this movie... Uh, yeah, this movie was not directed by fucking Baz Luhrmann. You're not gonna get fun, anachronistic <laughs> shit like that. Hey. It's not a knight's tale. Like, I wish. It works in Great Gatsby. Yeah, a Baz Luhrmann movie. Yeah. That's why Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet is freaking great, and we're gonna have to talk about it at some point whenever we get to Romeo and Juliet. Baz Luhrmann's a crazy person, but I love him. Don't forget to wear your sunscreen, kids. Only my 90s kids know what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, I'm a 90s kid, and I never didn't have any fucking clue about that until you told me. So, uh, well, but Dear yeah, class so of 1999, <laughs> you were what, five? Wow. No. No. <laughs> Just because you're, like, decrepit, ancient, fucking... No, I'm not Anne Hathaway. Yeah, you may, you may as well be. But I'd look way better in that cat suit. Except one oh no erection happens. <laughs> you already forgot the name of your book of poems is Oh No Boner. <laughs> A whoopsie doopsie. Whoopsie doopsie erection time. <laughs> like RJ said, we're only here to give you the facts and the penis jokes. You have to decide for yourself. So I guess we can't really end the episode the way we usually do i already did i gave my opinion <laughs> that's what i'm saying yeah i guess we can't be like good or bad do you believe it or not i think it's fairly clear that neither of us believe this shit like you know what stop hating on fucking shakespeare just because you don't think that a dude who's not fucking landed gentry can write a fucking play or a story that connects with people this goes out to mark rylance <laughs> stay in your own fucking lane <laughs> Step the fuck off, Mark Rylance. We loved you in Dunkirk. You were 
probably one of the best parts of that that movie. But also, just you know what? Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> but we still we still like you. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah, he's good. He's a good actor. So I'll do it for this episode. I don't know what costs. <laughs> it's true. Um, uh oh, erection. Oh, no. Uh oh, erection. <laughs> I'm finished. How about you? <laughs> yeah, I think I climaxed a little while ago. If you enjoy things that we do, God bless you. Uh, things we do with our mouths? <laughs> yes, the things we do with our mouths. Us, us two cunning linguists as we are. Uh, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, subscribe to us on iTunes, leave us ratings and reviews and sweet whispered messages of your love and write them in a letter and tie them to a balloon and let God sort it out. You can listen to us anywhere, everywhere, always, in the sky, under the ground, in your basement, in a sewer. We're, we're it. We're the it clown. We all literature down here. But also at onolitclass.com. Our next episode... Oh, our next episode is going to be cool as hell because it's going to be September 28th in the middle of Band Book Week. So actually, you're getting two special episodes back to back. Look how fucking lucky you are. Yeah. Yeah. Presuming that the hurricane doesn't like fucking sweep us away to the Bermuda Triangle. I guess we'll see. You'll, you'll know when this goes up. We'll finally find out about Amelia Earhart. She's just going to be chilling. She's going to be like, sup. That's my guess. But that's another conspiracy theory for another day. But yeah, get, get fucking hyped for Band Book Week. But in the meantime, I'm Megan. I'm RJ. We love you. Bye. This episode has been brought to you by an impending hurricane. Irma, it's everywhere you are. (laughs) It's everywhere you really don't want to be.